I want to welcome you back to our Bible study. Uh, when Center Say I Do, um, it's a study we're doing. And I, I really want to encourage you to go to bathchapel.church. If you missed any of the Bible study, it's all there in a section. You can watch it on YouTube or you can listen to it on a podcast or uh, on Facebook. But I encourage you. It's a marriage book, but we're not going from that aspect. We are dealing with our sin nature and the fact that somehow, somewhere, we think when we become a Christian that we just don't struggle with sin anymore. And that's not the truth. We've just begun. We are free to struggle, like I said, but we don't struggle to be free. And God God wants to sanctify us. He wants us to be holy, more like Him. doesn't mean perfection. And so I really encourage you to go back and get into this because it's going to help you. It's going to help you put aside some of the false stuff that you tried to achieve and get down to the real stuff that, yes, this is where I am and what I have, but this is how I deal with it. And so I hope you've been blessed. I remember our Sunday school um, at 930 online, and then we have our physical service at 1020, and uh, you can come in and we practice social distancing, um, and then we air that service at 6 o'clock on Sunday night. Um, I encourage you, uh, the, the mission is open, too, on Wednesdays from uh, 9 to noon. Just wait outside, and you have to have a mask. Right now we have a clothing giveaway, and uh, especially for back to school. So only allow adults with masks in, and they can come in and get clothing and stuff one at a time. So I want to encourage you, if you need any help, feel free always to call the church. Uh, leave a message if no one answers because we will get back to you. Or email if you have any prayer concerns or different things like that. Uh, also, we have three different ways to give. One, if you come to our Sunday morning services at 1020, we have a physical offering plate there. We don't pass it around, obviously. But uh, also, we have a secure P.O. box. And then we have a way for you to give online. I want to really thank everybody for being faithful and all the things that they're doing. I know things are different, and so we're just going to keep plodding through this. We're looking to open up a little bit more on some different things, still staying safe. But right now, we're just kind of keeping with the schedule that we have. Um, let's open up in prayer. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for just technology. You've always given it to us. and. It can be used to get the message out there or it can be used for bad things. And so I'm thankful that we have the ability, dear Lord, to meet at the church, to learn at the church. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you speak to our hearts today and help us to apply and hear what we need to do. And let us walk and live in your grace. I pray, speak, and I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. We're in chapter 4, and uh, we've been talking about our theology, and, and everyone's a theologian, and the thing about it is, is we talk about what you say and what you do is your theology, what you say and believe about the Bible. doesn't mean it's true, but it only goes as far as our actions and our words, which is what people really watch. And so uh, we talked about the fact that we're the chief of sinners and that we need to understand that and that we will struggle with sin even though we're saved. And so now in this chapter it says, taking it out for a sin, uh, spin, test drive for your doctrine. What's the point of setting here, you know, you, you get in the car, you start it up, and what if you just sat there and you gun the engine? And you don't go anywhere. It does no good. And that's the way it is with your theology and your beliefs. And so many times Christians make a lot of noise and rev the engine but do nothing with it. And so, let's put it in a drive. There's something of that restless desire of a relationship with God, God's grace at work within us that compels us 
not to just sit behind the steering wheel, but to put what we know in gear. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, James one twenty two says. When God saves us, we are drawn to unfamiliar things. Think about that. When you're saved, you're drawn to unfamiliar things, to holiness, to truth, to scripture, and God's amazing love. And you never get to the point where you figure that all out. There's always new dimensions of that. And as we learn more, through, uh, more though we have a desire to act on what we know and believe about God. How do we put our knowledge of God into gear is what we're going to be talking about. How do we go from head to hand? From head to feet. From head to action. Biblically speaking, putting theology into gear means driving on to the road of, of wisdom. Godly wisdom. Wisdom in the Bible isn't some mystical knowledge you can't figure out or a simple street-wise kind of stuff. It is life and decisions of someone rightly related with God. And we go back to that. Biblical wisdom is life and decisions of someone rightly related to God. God, I'm not going to make the word what I want to be. I am going to look at the word and what you say it is, and I'm going to align myself to your word. That's just like if your car, the alignment's off, and you see that, the steering wheel, you know. And so what do you do? Your wheel's this way while you're driving, so the car will drive straight. No. Well, you are going towards the way, the alignment, we need to turn whatever direction God says and align ourselves to it. It's applying what we know is true um, uh, at all times. First Corinthians one thirty: the way of wisdom is open to all who believe the gospel because Christ himself is our wisdom. God is our wisdom. That, so we can confidently say, like in, in James one five, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives somewhat no generously to all without reproach and will be given to him so if you want godly wisdom guess what god wants to give it to you to anyone problem is we don't want to do it or we don't want to hear it psalms 25 4 is a is a scripture that i i give to a lot of people show me the path where i should walk oh lord lead me along the road i should travel you start praying that that is asking for godly wisdom but you've got to choose to put it in gear. Wisdom for our life is not found in how-to books or in formulas for success. It is found in putting our beliefs into gear and heading down the road of wisdom with God behind the wheel. Carrie Underwood, Jesus, take the wheel. Get in the back seat. Let his wisdom from his word guide your life. So while we sit around getting the engine on our theology and our sin, uh, theology of sin, unless we're going to put the machine in a drive. Why have a powerful car that never leaves the garage? Progress comes when we slip our theology into gear and find out what it can do. Taste and see, for the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Psalms 34, 8. We've got to be doers. We've got to test that. So first gear and humility, suspect yourself first. Boy, Pastor, you keep hitting that. I'm the chief of sinners. Yeah, that's the point. We keep pointing to everybody else. I can't control anybody else. But I can control what I do through the power of the Holy Spirit and God's guidance and wisdom. And so, yeah, look at my sin. And in humility, suspect yourself first. 
Jeremiah 17, the heart is desperately wicked, but yet we think everybody else is bad, but we're okay. Stop. This is why we're doing this study. It's because that is a false theology from the pit of hell, and that is why we have so much trouble with everyone else and ourselves. Because we don't look to ourselves first. So we need to suspect ourselves. It is in Christ alone and in his merit alone that we can trust. True humility is living confident in Christ's righteousness and suspicious of our own. True humility is living confident that I am righteous, I may right in Christ, but I suspect my own righteousness, because there is none. Um, when we seek to address difficulties in our life, does a humble suspicion of our hearts influence our assumptions and approach? This, you know, I've, I've looked at this book, and now I'm teaching it to you, and it's still spiritually ripping my face off because it's causing me to develop the habit, why did I say that? Or why am I saying that to them? What is my motive? Heart is desperately wicked. You, you want to follow God, but guys, it's not about beating yourself up, but you've got to search why you're doing that. You've got to look for the dirt. And the dust that <coughs> grinds up your spiritual <coughs> machine. This may be a shocker, but we should be suspicious selectively, permanently, and internally. Selectively, permanently, and internally. Well, Pastor, I got saved and I'm all right. Why I got to go back there? I didn't say go back there and you're saved and you're free, but you have this sin nature in you and the Holy Spirit. And why did Paul talk about this in, in, in Romans? If we do not need to be in guard and to selectively and permanently and internally be suspicious of all of our motives. As the worst of sinners in the day-to-day conflicts of life, I should permanently be suspicious and regularly suspicious of myself. To be suspicious of my own heart is to acknowledge two things. That my heart has a central role in my behavior. The heart in the Bible and everything is the seat It's what you really do, not what you say or what you think. And so we need to understand that is central to all that we do. And that my heart has a permanent tendency to oppose God in his ways. Write that down. Get it in your mind. The heart is what I really do. And my heart, at its base, doesn't want to do what God wants to do. You know, I'm this way all the time. And there's no reason. It's just me being a butt. But when somebody wants me to do something or trying to make me do something, I automatically want to do it. No. I want to go five. I, I, I want to, especially if it's something I really don't want to do, I, I kind of dig in. And there's no good reason. But I know we love God, and I know that God loves us, but the problem is we need to understand these two things. The heart is where I really make decisions in my life. And secondly, at its base, it wants to oppose God. Even though I'm saved, even though I have the Holy Spirit, even though I'm learning more about God, we need to understand that. And guys, it'll be freeing for you that this is a struggle that I'm going to have and I need to check it. This is an area where we have to train yourself. Like you said, the humility of of healthy self-suspicion definitely does not come naturally. This is looking, this is that Psalms 139, 23, and 24. Search me, O God, know my heart. Test me and see my thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me along the road everlasting. You start putting that in your regular prayer time, again, it'll mess you up in a good way. I'm not saying that you go around and live in guilt. I'm saying the fact you don't Trust yourself. You know, 
being OCD is not a, is kind of a curse, you know, in a lot of ways, and a little bit of a blessing. But it's like it's every detail, and you got to check on stuff. And you'll know if you're one of these people. But you sit there and go, "Did I lock the door?" See, I'm, I just remind myself of something I need to call somebody about because I doubted. <laughs> I just said, "Did I lock that door?" Whatever, you know. And that can get a little neurotic. But as far as being a Christian, you need to check and be suspicious of your motives. Why am I doing that? Or why am I not doing that? Why does this come out easily? It's always a low road. It's always a low road, safe and secure, but not exactly the scenic way. And sadly, it's often a less traveled road in life. The area where you have to train yourself the humility of healthy suspicion. But to live suspicious of your heart's motivations, that's safe spiritual driving. Think about that. To live suspicious of your heart's motivations, that's safe spiritual driving. I'm I'm a school bus driver, and we have to do training every year, and most of it is the same thing, and it's like, uh, you know, and I'm not saying I almost fell asleep during some of the training. I don't want to get in trouble. Okay, but it's amazing to me, though, you need to be reminded of these things. And one of the things in our bus driver's training is an accident really just an accident. And what they're trying to say, no. And you know, oh, that's a terrible, Pastor. But what it was talking about is this ratio of the fact that you've accepted loose behavior for so long or something was missed and, and you missed something and that caused the accident. This is what not train ourselves to have a suspicious of our heart's motivations. We need to learn to be aware. To use that camera if you have in the back of your car. To use those mirrors. To be aware that somebody could be behind there. Or especially for a school bus driver, to be aware of the things that you have to do to keep those children safe and yourself safe. Well, that's the same way with your life. That You need to train yourself with those safety things. And each day is a new day. You need to build those things in your life. Many problems can move toward resolution in life. Uh, if we actually live that that we were sinners and sinners who are humble or who are growing more knowledgeable about their heart learn your heart as I have grown in my spiritual trek I've tried to get closer and closer to know myself better and better now you got to be careful because you can be too introspective and do nothing that's not what I'm saying I'm saying that you have people in your life and you have the word in your life and you have God in your life and you begin to keep short accounts. That means you don't let stuff slide. You don't beat yourself up because Romans 8 1 says there's now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. But short accounts. When something happens, you deal with it. You get those specs out. And you keep that pipe between the connection between you and man and you and God clean and flowing. It's accountability. And we don't like that word and we need it. It's the only thing that has saved me thus far. And so, knowing our hearts, in doing so, we're discovering what's really going on, that the ability to change righteousness apart from Christ undermines the truth of the gospel. The ability, see, that's what I realized in my life. I just was a good little boy. And I, and I knew Christ, but I just learned to act right. And I feel like the older I get, one, you don't care as much on what people think, which is a good thing. But the problem is, that those heart issues come out. It's like, did I just learn to act right or did I adjust my heart? See what I'm saying? you got to do that heart training. Um, it undermines the truth. Um, we need to be forgiven. Uh, 
So our best works are shot, though we though with sin and contain something for which we need to be forgiven. Uh, this was Packard's quote, so I'm going to go back because it doesn't make sense. So, not that he didn't, but where I started at. Uh, we, why not better acknowledge the cross says about you and relish the truth that Packer said so vividly? Our best works are shot, though, with sin and contain something for which we need to be forgiven. Even the best stuff we do. Sound bleak? It sure does. It is the gateway to the safe, low road of humility. When you realize I, I can't be good enough and when I get by myself, I'm just really not that nice of a person. Second year in integrity, inspect yourself. In integrity. Later in the book, we'll examine more closely what to do when love requires that we address the sins of others. Okay, but we're talking about ourselves because we start there. Scripture does not give me permission to make sins of others my first priority. <laughs> okay, I need to slow down and exercise the humility of self inspect self suspicion and expect my, inspect my heart first. Matthew 7, 3 and 5 says this, Why do you see the, the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will, you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. We've got to get to this. We've got to worry about our story first. Jesus saying to ignore the obvious log in favor of the not-so-obvious speck is not simply wrong, it's hypocrisy. In other words, it lacks integrity to ignore the major problem to deal with something trivial, simple, because that's where you prefer to focus. And really what I'm finding in life, what we see in ourselves, we project on others, and we worry about them, we need to be looking at ourselves. And that's happening a lot. Let's say you have recently had a conflict and both of you in that conflict have contributed to that sin. What would happen if you evaluate that conflict in the light of this passage? In other words, you get in a fight with somebody, you both have some skin in the game on who sinned, but what would happen if you applied Matthew 7 verses 3 and 5 and you worried about yourself first? What if you the log, not the speck, what if it was yours? And to the other person, you know, they have the speck. Would one of you be wrong? Would that be a misapplication of this passage? I don't think so. I think it's exactly what's supposed to happen. Jesus is not concerned here with what you, uh, what, which, which of you is more at fault in a particular instance. He emphasizes that your focus and my focus we, we, need to, we need to find, it needs to be the most obvious fact to us, whatever sin is in view. Think about that. Whatever sin is in view. You're driving along, and you need to be looking at those things that are in view. And what's ahead, but in view. He's calling for an inspection to begin with me, and to begin with you. To consider our sins, and it makes sense. I mean, it makes sense. If you look at this as driving, it totally makes sense. But we are looking not what's in front of us. You do need to look ahead, but we're looking over to the side and trying to drive down the road of life. To consider our sin before we consider the sin of others. To do otherwise lacks integrity, and we're hypocrites. 
Oh, I'm going to help you. I'm going to tell you how the cow eats the cabbage and help you with your stuff. But don't you look at me. Why are you judging me? That's a load of crud. I was going to say crap, but we're on tape. Wisdom connects integrity to humility in a pretty simple way. If you suspect yourself, you are more likely to inspect yourself first. See how this is working? Again, I'm not talking about condemnation, guys. I am saved and I am free and I'm going to heaven because of Jesus Christ alone and his blood. And that he died and he rose from the dead. And I accepted that. And I made him savior in my life and I'm following him as Lord. But what we're talking about is holiness. And this is where a lot of you Christians are getting off the bus. And you need to get back on. Oh, we're saved by grace. Yeah, you're saved by grace. But go to the next verse in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, 10. We're designed for good works for the beginning of time. And we're not saved by those works, but they're fruit. And holiness. Do you want to be closer to God than you were when you started? So you're... You're in sin, and you're kind of showing cheap grace. He gave his son for you and for me. So do you want to be more like him and know him more than when you started? You need to suspect yourself first, and then you need to inspect yourself. Not in condemnation. Now, the devil will make you get locked down on that. No, deal with it. Short accounts. We confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all righteousness. Verse John 1 9. Deal with it and go on. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Psalms 101 3. Why have I learned these things? Because Satan all the time wants me to stay in what I inspected. Deal with it and go on. Because God has. This road feels narrow to us because we are constantly looking for an off-ramp to focus on the sins of someone else. We do not like the spotlight on our our failures, okay? And so it's like, how do I get off here? How do I distract? You you deal with a child. They're, it's like their eyes will never look at you. You have to get them to look at you when you're trying to deal with something in their life. Well, that's how we are. They're trying to find that off-ramp. But if we stay on it, we can be confident that we will that it will take us where Jesus wants us to go. So how do we stay on the narrow road of integrity? Make sure you suspect and inspect yourself accurately. Ac- inspect the accuracy of your perceptions. When a conflict emerges, is your sense of where the other person is saying clear, crisp, and obvious, or is it a preference, or was it something in your life? Is it clear? And I will say this. I know I'm not perfect at all. But when somebody has done me really wrong, and it's obvious that they've done me really wrong, it takes me years to verbalize that. And it's not because I'm perfect. But I want to be very careful and start with myself. God, is it me? And so when I say clearly they did this, not to hold it over their head, it's taken me years to get to that point to deal with that. We need to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Are you looking forward to the moment when you can deliver the telling line, I'm going to get them? You know, uh, Dr. Frizzell, I talk about him a lot, but he says, if you find yourself rehearsing what you're going to say to that person, you haven't forgiven. Boy, I have a lot of good speeches that I have in my mind by myself that sometimes the dog hears. You know, but the thing about it is, that says something about me. They're not sitting around waiting for my speech. They don't even think it. They may not even know or care. I've got to deal with myself. None of us know everything. And 1 Corinthians uh, 
13.12 says this, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Not a mind reader. Don't know everything. Take that off your plate. Okay, maybe you think you're able to be more objective than that person, but even if that's true, your objectivity is tainted by sin. This is what I'm trying to understand. Yes, I, 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 you may deal with lost people, and they're lost. They don't know. But you could, even in that, you've got to ask the question, I have got to guard where is me and where is God in this? Very careful. That's why we got to suspect and inspect ourselves first before we help somebody else. And I hope this helps you a lot. It's, I mean, again, me going over it. Uh, God's Word is living and alive. It's not that I haven't noted this section of Scripture, but just realizing, okay, look, before I help somebody else, I need to suspect myself what my motive is and where the sin is in that. And I need to inspect myself and get clear before I can help them. Or should I help them? You must bring to these conversations an awareness of your own sinful desires and desires that are more tangible and more vivid than your awareness of theirs. Uh, Also avoid the off-ramp of self-righteousness. Integrity calls you to suspect and inspect your motives. Are you really really doing this to bless and encourage and help them? Or do you actually have a strong interest in chalking up a few points for your team? Do I really want to help them or do I want to get back at them? Do you hope to be proven right? To be vindicated? To emerge a spiritual victor or superior? Who are you intending to serve? Yourself or the person? So if you find yourself on a spec hunt in your life, it's probably because you're suspicious or misdirected or you're inspecting the wrong person. The author wants, we need to suspect and inspect our own heart first, and that's where you'll discover not only the most obvious sin in your life, but the only sin, but the only sin I can directly change. Think about that. When you suspect and inspect yourself first, you're going to see the most obvious sin and the only sin you really can change, which is yours. So the third gear, admit the circumstances only reveal existing sin. Admit that circumstances only reveal existing sin. Let's unpackage that for a minute. There's a lot to talk about these days on the need of honesty in life. And the problem is not with the honesty itself, but in the intent of a person's honest words. Think about it. The problem is not with the honesty itself, but the intent of a person's honest words. There's a lot of people saying honest things, but what's the intent? As we have already learned, our problems come from how our hearts engage with circumstances around us. And if we are applying the gospel wisdom, we see the hand of God in every situation working for the ultimate good. So this means that God will create opportunities to reveal and then deal with sin that keep us from living in wisdom. So God's going to create opportunities for us to see our sin. And he is so ginger with us. He is so gentle with us. And so he can grow us. That's his goal, is not to hurt us. Anybody that's been a parent, they don't want to sit there and spank their kid or discipline their kid. But he, he says in Hebrews that if we weren't his children, he wouldn't discipline us. And he's doing this for our own good. Um, we need to be careful that we don't become a blame shifter. Think about that for a minute. A blame shifter is a little different from something what we talked about earlier, which is to think that others are actually causing the conflict since since the only true true cause of sin. 
here's the difference. Blame shifting is what I do when I basically know I'm guilty and I'm just trying to convince myself or someone else that maybe I'm not. I'm going to say that again. Blame shifting is what I do when I basically know I'm guilty and I'm just trying to convince myself or someone else that maybe I'm not. They, they want to insist that someone else made a sin. Flip Wilson, comedian. The devil made me do it. He may have a hand in it, but you made that choice. Something outside of us, beyond our control. Ah, our circumstances. Well, we go First Corinthians uh, ten thirteen. He says, "With every temptation, we right away to escape." The problem is, I'm abbreviating. Is we got to take it. The road of honesty is a straight road, cuts right through our hearts. And if you've driven east, uh, driven out west, or somewhere, you know those long roads that you can see forever. That's the road of honesty. And honesty forces us to deal with the familiar indwelling sin of our lives in a straightforward way. Just cuts right to it. And the destination is always the same, the foot of the cross. Where our sin can be atoned for and where Christ, our wisdom, is ready to help us in our time of need. Uh, that's Hebrews 4.16. Let us go boldly before the throne of grace. Uh, the grace that we, uh, let us go boldly before the throne of uh, Christ that we may uh, receive grace and find mercy in our time of need. Original sin. Let's, let's look at it this way. We're talking about engines. We're talking about cars. Original sin filled the engine of our hearts with the oil of depravity, dark, greasy, and staining everything it touches. So the engine of our heart is filled with this sin nature, the oil of depravity, and circumstances come along and heat the engine. And when the engine is hot, when the events in our lives test our hearts by by stirring anger, lust, greed, whatever is in the engine spews out. Think about it. You've got that sin nature in the in the engine of your heart. You're saved. And then when circumstances hit, it heats up the oil. And boy, if that oil gauge, you don't watch that, you're going to lose an engine. And then it's fused out. Have you experienced any heat lately? What's your list? What are the things that make your oil light go on? Have you ever considered that why why there are no accounts of Jesus slamming a door in angry frustration or inflicting a silent treatment or so on someone who hurt him? We never do that. Why didn't Jesus get irritated or bitter or hostile? Well, he was Jesus. He was perfectly God. But he was fully God and fully man, so he was tempted in all ways, and yet he did not sin. He didn't grow Him and Adam did not have a sin nature. They had the choice whether they wanted to go with God or not. We are born in a sin nature, but Jesus still could have sinned, and he didn't, and that is why we can be saved through his righteousness. The simple but astounding answer is that when his engine was heated by circumstances, what was in his heart came out. Love, mercy, compassion, kindness. Christ didn't respond sinfully to the circumstances of life even an undeserved, humiliating, torturous death. We all have different things that heat our oil up. And I love looking at other people and saying, why are you letting that bother you? But yet, I've got the stupidest stuff that will bother me and get my oil heated up, and it's stupid. You've got, this is why you got to know. you got to know what weight of oil is <laughs> the one that's going to push you. What was in his heart spilled out of love as far as Christ? And that's what we want to get to. If, we wise, if, if we're wisely honest, we will realize that God is behind it all, revealing the familiar sin so that we might be overwhelmed by his amazing grace. 
His grace is that oil additive that helps us deal with our sin on a day-to-day basis and the power of the Holy Spirit. Philippians 2.13, for God is working in you, gives him a desire to obey him and the power to do what pleases him, that dynamos, dynamite power. Fourth gear, focus on undeserved grace, not unmet needs. Focus on undeserved grace and not unmet needs. This is, uh, um, oh, uh, I know his name, I can't think of it right now. But he talked about, uh, a pastor talked about three things that he said in the morning and at night. I'm doing better than I deserve. You know? And that always hit me on the fact of we're saved by grace. We're doing way better than we deserve. So it doesn't matter what needs aren't met. And everything's about what I don't have or what I want. And it hits all of us, guys. But all we deserve is hell. Everything else is cake. Think about your last conflict. What caused it? If you answered, well, you know, they did this or they did that. But according to Scripture, the source of of angry words and unforgiving looks and cold shoulders is not unmet needs. It's unsatisfied desires. Uh, We're going to look at this... uh, Briefly, but you see this in James 4, verses 1 and 2. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? It is not, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Now, I want to get really clear on that last part of that verse. Well, that means I can ask for anything and I'll get it. No, you need to ask according to God's will because guess what? He knows what's best for you. He knows us better than ourselves. And when you trust Him and let your desire take delight in the Lord, Psalms 37, 4, and He will give you the desires of His heart, of your heart, you need to, you need to focus on God's will first. And then your desires will be right. We must see the Scripture places the blame of conflict squarely on our passions and on how much I want something regardless of how legitimate that desire is. We got a lot of legitimate desires, but there's a difference between a want and a need. And he says in Philippians 1.19, he'll provide all of our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. If my desire, my sin, it's my desire, my sin, the grimy oil, oil in my own heart erupting in response to the heat of circumstances. Is that happening? You need to ask that question when you suspect yourself and you inspect yourself. Why am I getting upset? Why am I getting antsy? Is this legit? Or I'm just letting circumstances affect me. With a sentence or two, James masterfully shifts an entire paradigm from something we're missing, the unmet need, to something we're doing, passionately desiring something we're not getting. Start thinking about that. It's not, I didn't get this. I'm desiring this. Need to ask that question, and we need to be aware of ourselves and, and all these things. Needs are not wrong. We all have them. They exist as daily reminders that we're created as dependent beings in fundamental need for God and His provision in our lives. I mean, the COVID, I think, has really taught us that. It's amazing. You know, I'm in my 50s, and I grew up where I didn't have power locks on cars, uh, no. Uh, cruise control. My son got a, a new car the other day. It doesn't have power locks. I had to think again. I said, how do you how do you lock your trunk? Well, you got to take that key to the back and turn it. I grew up with that. 
The fact that I got upset when I was at Walmart because it was closing at 8. Well, most of my life, stores closed. You, you see what I mean about uh, needs and, and, and wrong? We need, you know, you go back to needs are not wrong, but we need to realize that, like I said through this COVID, when you go and look at shelves and, and stuff are not there, you start making a list. If I see that, I'm getting it because it's been out forever. Or what do I really need? I want you to understand, you go back to what I said in Psalm 37, 4. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Or Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these things will be added unto you. What you need to understand is God's going to give you beyond that. And I'm not talking about a name it, claim it thing. But you've got to just realize that God provide my needs, the needs you think I need, and I'll live in that, and he'll give you way more. But maintaining a, a distinction between genuine needs and those needs invented by, self, by our self-indulgent culture is essential, essential for a healthy uh, life. Think about it. Advertising. I hate... I, one of my degrees is in broadcasting. Okay? So, obviously, it's not working here, right? Okay? But the thing about it is, is we had to study advertising. Now, I personally, and they, they're doing it, I hate when you're watching TV and they play a commercial and then they play the same commercial again. Like, I'm stupid and you have to play, and they do it all the time. Well, they're doing it because they're trying to get in your mind, I need to do that. I mentioned in the sermon Sunday about the s'more shake and some of you went out and got it. And it is good. Again, not trying to advertise. Okay? But you see, I'm, I'm saying about the power of of our society, the fact that my phone is probably listening to me right now, and if I say certain words, suddenly I, f- I see a stupid ad on something I mentioned. And that kind of scares me. I want to shut down some things on my phone. But do you understand what I'm saying? The fact that our self-indulgent society says, I need it now, I want it now, I desire it now. And then it blurs on the fact of what a real need is and what is it I just want. Is it wrong to desire the gentle caress of, uh, of a loved one or, or, or to have the right things? No, but even these things, e- but even things that are good can be corrupted if they are defiled, defined as needs. I want you to think about that. Desires are not bad, but it's a desire. It may not be a need. This is why Psalms 37.4, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You have to get the order right, and this is the problem. It's not wrong to desire appropriate things like respect or affection from others, but it is very tempting to justify demands by thinking of, the, of them as needs, and then and then to punish one another if those needs are not met or satisfied. And this is what we're getting from society, society too. One, get it now, and I deserve it. I deserve death, hell, and the grave. You deserve death, hell, and the grave. Not because this guy is telling you, because God's word clearly says it. Because God loves the world that he gave us and we've gotten son, that who shall believe shall not perish but have everlasting life. Doing better than I deserve. Perhaps through the saddest part of driving down the road of unmet needs is where we end up. The road of unmet needs leads to nowhere. It, it is forlorn, forlorn one-lane stretch of me. All me. Nothing about God. And all it leads us to is more me, and it's worse than a dead end. It's a circle that never ends. 
that sinners who realize have a different road to travel. It's the road of astonishing, undeserved grace. A grace so remarkable that it shows us the problem and then delivers the solution. And, uh, the road of undeserved grace is like that. It's distractingly beautiful because it's our true, our true needs are being met in a breathtaking array uh, in Christ. But it's a road of constant surprises because we drive it with full awareness of our sin and lie of the cross. And how can such a road produce joy? Um, we need to think about that. The road of grace. The road of grace is that scenic drive that as you get older, it's like, hey, let's go look at that. Let's go Let's go look at the trees. And I'm glad at my age, which I don't feel that I'm that old, but I'm glad I learned that early. I had an Uncle Joe. And my dad always said, you need to be like Uncle Joe. And it's like, what do you mean? You know, he just goes through life just enjoying it and slow and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I'm at that age, and I'm thankful that I learned a little bit earlier, That, and I know it drives those driven people nuts. What are you doing? I'm looking at that sunset. I'm looking at that flower. Because I used to be like that, just wrapped too tight. And life just kind of peeled that off of me. And it doesn't always happen. But we need to be going down that road of grace. Yeah, I'm saved. So I'm going to look suspect myself first, inspect myself. And I'm going to go with and give God my needs and check my heart and just trust Him. The question I have for you today, we talked a lot about stuff. You, you have to start by suspecting yourself and inspecting yourself first. You've got to go through the gears and you've got to ask the questions, what circumstances are causing the oil of sin in my life to heat up? And also the fact that if, I, if you're feeling condemned through this, I'm not talking about being condemned. I'm talking about being convicted. And convicted says, you know, I have blamed and looked at others instead of myself first, the chief of sinners. Christians start with that. But for the rest of you, you may not know Christ. And this may be the time for you to see that you can sit there and try to act right. And you probably may be better than most Christians that you know. But you are still headed to hell because only one sin sends you there. And it was sending me there. And when you ask me, there's the only reason I'm being saved is Jesus Christ and his blood. Call me. Talk to me. Receive Christ today. And for the rest of us, start by go back to Matthew 7, verses 3 and 5 and look at that. And begin with the fact of, God, I'm going to suspect and inspect my heart first. And I'm going to just want my desire to be for you. And I'll let you take care of the rest. Lord, I thank you for everyone here today. And I just pray that you guard their hearts and guide them to follow you. I pray you bless them. And I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.